0: You have to be curious and you have to stay curious if you want to continue learning and growing and most importantly, innovating.
1: Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that... What's up, my friends? Marie Forleo is a wildly successful coach with the mission to live a life as a multi passionate entrepreneur and help others do the same. But she didn't get there overnight, though. The journey took years and an incredible amount of hard work, teamwork, and humility. And most recently, all of that hard work, all of that teamwork, all of her stories and experience has been culminated. In her number one New York Times bestselling book, Everything is Figure Outable. And so, from one author to another, I wanted to wish Marie and her team an incredible amount of congratulations and re air this encore episode of my first conversation with Marie. Back at episode 72. So, Marie and team, again, congratulations to you for this momentous achievement and for the impact that you are having in the world. And to all of those of you who are listening to this episode for the first time, dive in, take some notes, definitely brace for impact. And for those of you who are re listening to this episode that was originally aired back at episode number 72, Use this as an opportunity to refresh yourself, to to re-engage with the fact that it is okay to be a multi-passionate human being and to help others do the same. So without further ado, bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Marie Forleo, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am super pumped to have you. This is going to be a fun conversation.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor.
1: Yes. Did you know that there's only one of three things that is possible when you encounter another human being? Did you know that one of three things is going to happen?
0: What? What are these three things? Tell me.
1: Well, you are either going to leave that person worse off than, than they were before you met them. You're going to leave them the same or no change, or you're going to have such a tremendous effect in their life that you're going to change the trajectory that they're on. And I hope Today, that our conversation, that we have the third element, that we have such a powerful conversation, that maybe something in our own lives change, but also more importantly, something in the lives of our listeners changes.
0: Love it. I'm down. You on board
1: with that? Cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I've read. You know, you you are a prolific. You you are an incredibly successful entrepreneur, and I've read um, a lot about what you've accomplished. And I always like to start with kind of the the root, which is the family, right? And I, I know that you've, you come from a hardworking family, a close knit family, but what was it like growing up as a kid? What, what were your parents like and the community around you?
0: So my parents are amazing human beings and I am so grateful that they're still here and alive and funny and um, as incredible as they've always been. But yeah, we came from a very um, just hardworking, blue-collar family, Italian-American in New Jersey. And my dad was a small business owner. He started his own business in our garage. And then, you know, step by step, he grew it to where it was um, basically in the printing world. It was called lithography at that time. It's no longer an industry, really, because of how um, digital and technology has shifted across the years. But my dad worked his tail off, you know? He worked all the time to be able to take care of us and support us. And my mom is an amazing human and she worked her tail off inside the house, raising myself and my brother. So work ethic and making sure that everything was taken care of, you know, from the business side with my dad. I remember many weekends going in because he had a big job to do. And rather than just let my dad do it on its own, we would all go into the shop and work with him. And my parents would always try and turn it into a party. You know, my mom would order pizzas for us and my dad would always give me a job, you know, something that I could do that would actually help move the project along. And so by the end of Sunday night, we would have taken care of a big job and we got to spend time together as a family. And uh, it was cool. So I got to see firsthand, you know, what it takes to make a business run, what it's what's required of you in order to over deliver for your customers, and you know the fact that you stay in the saddle and you don't leave until everything is where it needs to be.
1: Do you have one particularly favorite memory that that comes to mind as it relates to something that you did with your dad or your mom on one of those days?
0: You know, there's not really a specific concrete memory because it was the kind of thing that we did quite often but the essence of how things were done is something that's carried over into my life so my mom and my dad both love music and they're always you know got a radio playing and back in those days it was a boom box so I just remember that there was music blasting and you know kind of singing lyrics and and getting stuff done uh, so there was this incredible blend of making things happen and enjoying yourself while you do it
1: that's awesome. Did you did they where did they learn this this fun uh attitude from was it from their own parents? Did did you spend much time with your grandparents?
0: Not an enormous amount of time. I mean, my grandparents on my uh dad's side unfortunately passed away when I was fairly young. And um, on my mom's side, I never got to meet my grandfather because he passed away when she was very young. Um, but my grandmother is also a very fiery human being. She's still alive. And while we didn't see them, uh, it's not like they weren't present. It wasn't It wasn't like a daily, you know, we weren't hanging out with our grandparents every single day of the week. Like some people's families, they all live very close together. We were always typically a few hours apart and my grandmother lived in Florida. So so I'd see everyone a few times a year. But in terms of that fun factor, I think it's just who my parents are. Um, they are fun. They're rambunctious. They're expressive. And um, yeah, that's just who they are.
1: So what about the community that, that was around you guys? How did, how did you guys impact the people around you? And, and was it kind of contagious? Did you guys spread that love and, 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 uh, and excite other people?
0: You know, it's an interesting question. Um, my experience growing up, it was myself and my friends and my family, but my my parents aren't like big entertainers where, you know, we'd have tons of people over. We would have relationships with our neighbors and my mom and my dad, of course, would have connections with my friends' parents. But they're very just private people who, you know, it wasn't really about like community wasn't really a thing that I discovered quite frankly, until college or after that, it was just like, Oh, you have a handful of friends, you know, you do what you got to do. You go to work, you come home and that's that.
1: So you come from a, a private family that kind of was close knit and then you enter college and you discover community. Was it a difficult transition to kind of become vulnerable and, 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 show up as who you are in that community?
0: No, not at all. I mean, um, I love people intrinsically um, and I love talking with people and engaging with them. And uh, college was just a fantastic opportunity to just meet more awesome humans. And of course, you know, it's in my late teens, early 20s that's a time in your life when hormones are just out of control and most (laughs) people are just like on fire, you know, like they want to do everything and go everywhere. And I was certainly of that ilk. So there was no difficult
1: transition. So you actually had kind of a, you bounced around a little bit in college, right? You you started out with one thing and decided to do another thing, right? You didn't actually just pick a major and just stick with it all four years. So where, where did you start?
0: I started out um, as a psych major, actually, because I was always really fascinated with human potential and why we are the way we are and how can we really optimize our lives. And when I got into my first psychology class and sat down in that auditorium and was listening to the professor at the time, they were espousing this philosophy that essentially everything that's wrong with us, you can trace back to how your parents screwed you up and that's really what the genesis was and it, there was something about the first 5 minutes of that class that i found so distasteful that i literally got up walked out went to the bursar's office and changed my major immediately
1: well i mean yeah i mean like you just you just finished completing a, a story about how awesome your family is and so that that's completely antithetical to to what you believed yeah so i uh, i asked one of our mutual friends cameron harold Who are the three most confident people he knows? And he replied with Tim Ferriss, Marie Forleo, and Lewis House. Where does that confidence stem from?
0: It's a great question that I really don't have a good answer to. And the reason I say that is because I don't feel like I am necessarily one of the most confident people. It's interesting that other folks have that perception of me, um, but I don't necessarily walk around thinking like, I'm so great. I just get things done. And if there is a topic or a project or a creative area that I'm interested in, I just want to go for it and figure it out and get involved and see what it's like and see if I enjoy it. And so perhaps that's perceived as confidence, um, but that's the way I've always been. And so I think it actually stems back to that work ethic that we were talking about in the beginning where, you know, if there is a challenge or an obstacle or something that needs to get done, the way that I was brought up is just that you attack it. You go figure it out. Like you don't shy away from it. You just dive in. And so um, it wasn't about I'm the best or I'm the greatest or I can do anything. It was more about, well, this is just really practical. Like, you know, how we're going to get something done.
1: I love that because I'm really into words and, and confidence is one of my favorite words. And it it literally means um, with faith. So like go with faith. And faith is the absence of doubt, right? And it's not necessarily that you don't have doubts from time to time. It's the fact that you trust your ability to get things done. And yes. there's this, this whole... Um, this whole psychological study that this this uh, psychologist named Doctor Albert Bandura um, uh, created, called self-efficacy, which is a, basically that if you, you if you try something and you put in the the required amount of effort, you're you believe that you're going to be able to do that and get it done. Is that is that kind of where you're at?
0: Completely. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's really nothing for me it has to be a marriage of two things um you know if someone were like oh you know why don't you go do this thing then like there has to be an intrinsic genuine desire in me to move towards a particular project or solve a particular problem if i have no resonance you know i'm not the type of human that's wired like if someone just gives me a dare or tries to challenge me to you know see whether or not um i can rise up to it if i'm not interested i'm just not interested you know i'm not going to touch it not because i'm afraid to fail but because it's a waste of my
1: time totally and i love that word resonance and you know i'm a musician and and you you constantly hear about people using that word oh that doesn't really resonate with me but they don't think they really understand what that word means and it literally is something that that causes vibration right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm totally into that word because I'm the same way. I started this podcast because I knew that I was called to do it and I wanted to do it and I was drawn to it. And there are a lot of people that think that they should do something or start something just because somebody else says that they should do it. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the major problems that we face in society today is that just because you might be good at something doesn't mean it's necessarily good for you.
0: Yeah, and just because you can create or you can start or you can push something out in the world doesn't mean it's the right strategy or that it's a good use of your time.
1: Right, right. Or that, yeah, exactly. Or that it's the right time. When you were a kid or a teenager, was there someone that you recall who, who believed in your potential, who helped kind of nurture that a little bit?
0: Well, I think my parents always were extremely supportive of me. That's a baseline. And then I remember when I was in high school, actually, I had tried out for the cheerleading team many times and failed Um, for whatever reason. I don't know if my arms weren't straight enough. I just couldn't get the choreography. I didn't have the right whatever. Uh, I got rejected. I think I tried maybe two, three, four times to make the team and just never did it. And then uh, I kept going though, because I really, I love dance. I love physical movement. And there was something about being a part of that team that was really exciting to me. And when I, I think it was in middle school slash high school. I don't know. I'm getting, it's, those are years, that's years ago. But there was a, a cheerleading coach who, you know, I came out again and, um, she really believed in me and she said I know, you know, you don't have nearly as much experience as the rest of the team who's been doing this for years, but you're really good and she's like I'm actually going to make you the captain because you have so much dedication and commitment. So that was awesome. That was really um a wonderful confirmation of if you put in hard work even if you don't have the experience or um, you know, the street cred that maybe some other people have that you can kind of dive into something and dominate it if you're willing to work hard enough.
1: How did you apply that as you started your career in you know in in coaching other people?
0: Well, I think it's really the same philosophy you know when I started coaching people, it was kind of nuts. I mean, I was 23 years old and I don't know what the hell gave me the audacity to believe that I had value to offer others. Um, But I'm really glad that I was that courageous at that point. And it's something that's really carried over for me throughout everything that I've done. You know, I started a dance career practically at 25, which sounds insane that in the dance world, that's usually when a lot of people, especially when it relates to kind of hip hop and popular styles of dances, sometimes they can be winding down. You know, a lot of people start dance when they're like three or four, they're like in classes their entire lives. Um, But this idea of, work ethic and being willing to put in the hours and constantly challenge yourself to get better, I think can serve you throughout anything. And it certainly served me again, when I started coaching other people, um, when I started my dance career, when I started our TV show, you know, everything I've done, it's, it's been things that I've never done before and I don't necessarily have training to do.
1: So you've done a lot of things. You've been a dancer, you've been like a Nike elite athlete you've uh you've bartended you've you're have this incredible business you used to work on the New York stock stock exchange there's this general sense of curiosity that just kind of follows you and 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 enables your success in one way so why do you think curiosity is one of the keys to long-term success
0: well i think If you believe that you already know everything, you're going to fail. Whether you fail right now or you fail in six months or you fail in in three years, you are going to fall on your face. I think especially in the landscape that we're in right now with technology and how quickly everything changes, you have to be curious and you have to stay curious if you want to continue learning and growing and most importantly, innovating. Because, uh, you know, being curious, it's also the secret to an incredibly fulfilling life. If you're curious about other people, what makes them tick, what they're interested in, what their dreams and goals are. If you're curious about yourself and how your own visions for your life are changing, how your priorities are changing, you know, your significant other, your kids, your parents, your sisters and brothers, you know, this... Element of curiosity, I think, is really a core ingredient not only to success on some kind of, you know, whether it's a financial level or a social level, but it's really uh, an essential component to a rich life.
1: My friends, right now I want you to hit pause. I want you to hit pause and head over to Amazon. And while you're at Amazon, I want you to do two things. I want you to pick up a copy of Marie Forleo's number one best selling book, Everything is Figure And I also want you to pick up a copy of my book, Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning, and live life on purpose. And maybe pick up a copy of both of those books to give away to someone you love and care about. And when you're done, be sure to. To come back and leave a review on Amazon for both my book and Marie's book. Now back to the show. So you've got this sense of curiosity. You it's obviously led to a, a great deal of success, and you have your you have this attachment to this idea of curiosity because it's it's led to so much of your success, but it's come this general sense of curiosity is also you've learned from hard things where where you've let go of this curiosity and done what other people think that you should do or what you should or what society says you should do such as that time when you decided to become a, a trader on the new york stock exchange because somebody said that that's that's what people should do when they graduate college with a degree in finance or whatever so what did you learn from that
0: well, you know, to to be clear on that point, it was, you know, when you're graduating from college with a degree in finance a lot of times it's about going into corporate finance, right? Or going to sit behind a desk in some cubicle. For me, that was absolutely unacceptable. I have way too much energy to be able to do that. So being on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange sounded like the best possible fit for me because there's literally no chairs. You stand all day long. It is mayhem (laughs) down there. You're running around, you're screaming. There's a lot of energy that, you know, people are very enthusiastic and passionate about what they're doing. So I was excited. I went into that job with eyes wide open and an open heart and thinking like, wow, this could really be incredible. Um, But as I learned very quickly, I hated being confined to one location. I hated the idea of having to go to the same place day in and day out every single day for the majority of the year. And then if you're looking at a career there, you know that's three years, five years, 10 years. And some of the folks that I was working with, the guys that were my bosses, you know, some of them have been on the floor for like 10 years. And the only time that they weren't there was those two weeks of vacation. And that to me sounded like a death sentence. So, um, thankfully I listened to my intuition and said, this is not the life for me. And I don't know what is, but I know this isn't it. So I got to just head out and find it.
1: Intuition. That, that is something that I've heard a lot uh, more about frequently, trust your gut, trust your intuition. is that something you've you've always had or something you 've developed and and how have you developed it?
0: Yeah, intuition is a core part of everything that i do it 's all based on feeling, um, especially when it comes to important things like marketing, hiring, pricing, product development. I mean everything in the world um, that 's important to me i 'll make the decisions based on gut feeling. In terms of how long have I had it, it's something that my mom drilled into me from the time I was very little. You know, back in the 80s when I was growing up, there was a lot of those campaigns going around. Like you would see kids, unfortunately, on the side of milk cartons, right? Because they would go missing. So my mom always taught me that if I was ever walking down the street in our neighborhood and anyone tried to talk to me, if I had a funny feeling, in my stomach or something made me feel uncomfortable, she'd say, you have to trust that small little voice inside that says run or don't talk to this person or whatever it is. And she said, that little voice will never steer you wrong. Whether it's someone on the street, someone in the classroom, one of your friends, you have to pay attention to that little small voice within you. And hearing that day in and day out from the time that I was you know, just able to walk all the way through going to college, makes a difference. So she trained me to first understand that there was such a thing as a small voice inside. And two, that I had to listen to it, that despite what was happening around me, that if something didn't feel right, I had to really honor that and take action based on it. So by the time that I got to college and then was out into the world trying to make my way and figure out who I am and what I was going to do, it was a very strong muscle.
1: Wow, that that's incredibly powerful. I mean, I would love to to meet your mom. I mean, she sounds like an incredible person. She is. How do you? I mean, that's definitely a skill, though. I mean, it's like a muscle that you that you have to develop, and obviously you've been developing it throughout your entire life. But it's still something that that needs to be sharpened. So, how do you continue to fine tune that intuition or or that gut level instinct on a daily basis?
0: Well. I think I'm way more comfortable now giving myself time and space to make decisions if I know that's a big decision coming up and that I might need to parse through my own logic and reason and other people's information, and then be able to let all the dust settle to hear what I really want to do. So a concrete example is recently, um, I went through the process of selling my next book, and I was absolutely certain that I did not want to make the decision within a short time frame. So I told my agent after we went to book auction, I said, look, once we understand who the final players are, what the final offers are, Um, I want you to build into the rules that I need at least 24 hours before I'm going to make a decision because I want to be able to sleep on it. It's an important decision. I want to be able to really think about and feel my way through everything. And uh, she was like, no problem. And so anytime that I need to make a big decision, part of my process is to give myself time to do it. I, I don't always need 24 hours. Sometimes it becomes very evident. But I don't like to put myself into situations where anyone's trying to force me to make an important decision too soon, and that process helps me continue to stay in touch with what I truly feel and uh, my intuitive sense.
1: I love that, and I think that's probably the best way for someone who's who's never who didn't have a mother like you like yours who who developed this self awareness inside of you at at an early age to to begin to learn how to develop their intuition today? Is that how you would coach somebody to to build that skill today?
0: Well, the the way to build it is actually to start to parse through your past. Because inevitably, there are going to be instances where if you look back, and they'll pop up immediately if you're willing to ask yourself the right question. So if you look back and you say, okay, what are some of the most painful decisions that I've made? And did I know it before I made it? where you said yes to something, that something inside of you is like, I don't know about this. Even though everyone says I should do it, I probably shouldn't. If you look through the past three years, five years, even one year, whether it's social engagements, business activities, buying something that you shouldn't have purchased, everyone has clues in their life where there was something in them trying to give them a signal And they overrode it, whether it was for their ego, because other people were telling them they should, because they wanted something they thought they needed to have or level of success or level of connection they thought would get them somewhere. But there was a voice inside that was trying to save them some heartache and they didn't listen. So I think the best way to train yourself to listen to your intuition is to start paying attention to when you didn't because the pain will teach you.
1: Ooh, I love that. It reminds me of the story of, of King David when he was a, a shepherd boy at facing Goliath. And one of the things that 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 happened in that story is King Saul said, You could, you, David, can step forward and face Goliath, but you have to wear my armor. And uh, David knew that he would not be able to effectively execute his skills if he wore that armor. So he steps out. And yes, there was risk facing Goliath, he could have died. But the alternative was way more risky of the entire Israelite community being completely wiped off the map and changing the course of history. But the really powerful thing there that I think remains true today is that there are going to be other people in our lives that are going to try to put their armor on us, either because they love us and they're concerned for our well-being or in the case of Saul they are concerned about how you failing might impact them or reflect back on them. Yep.
0: 100%. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, you know and and people are people are afraid of that change and you kind of just talked about it. They're afraid of not necessarily the change but actually the transition that's required to to move from where they are to where they want to be. So you have this great coaching business and you've coached thousands of entrepreneurs to through that transition from where they are to where they want to be. How do you co- coach them to bridge that gap?
0: Well, I think it's different for every person. You know, if if people are excited enough about the transition that they're making in terms of their vision for the outcome of where they're going, the excitement and the focus on what they're moving towards can sometimes be enough to help them bridge that gap of the discomfort they're going to go through to make the changes to get there. But I think on a more practical level, it's helping people just be real with the fact that this is not going to be easy you're going to cry. You're going to hit obstacles. You're going to hit places in the journey. where you are going to be like, is this worth it? Do I want to quit? Is this really what I want to do? And I think the less that we can sugarcoat um, what the process is going to be like and help people get real with it, the easier it becomes because then they're not Mm -hmm. sideswiped. Then they understand if they're feeling insecure, if they're feeling afraid, if they're feeling like they don't have what it takes to do it, they can recognize that as being a very much natural part of the journey, then they don't think it's them who might be insufficient. Then they don't think that, oh, maybe I'm doing everything wrong and I should go back to my comfort zone. But if they can start to associate a lot of that discomfort and quite frankly, some pain with being absolutely required to get to the other side, all of a sudden it becomes less intimidating. And then of course, if you are able to make those kinds of changes in your life or in your business, and you're able to do so in community where you can connect with other people and have discussions about what you're experiencing and other people validate and say, yep, absolutely. I was where you were at. I can so relate. This is what helped me. Maybe it can help you. All of a sudden you have more support to really make it through to the other
1: side. Totally. Have you ever heard of a guy named Dan Waldschmidt? I have not. He, he is a, consultant, a corporate consultant and speaker. And, and one of the things he says is that people love the idea of competition, but when the gun goes off, it gets real. And, and the same is true of entrepreneurship. People love the idea of calling themselves an entrepreneur or starting something. But when when they actually step out and step forward into the unknown, it gets real and and they start facing obstacles and having successes and having setbacks. And they need to develop the muscles and the skills and the mental fortitude to face those challenges and overcome it. And it seems like more and more people today are stepping out of the corporate grind because they realize that people are just going to get stuck there just like you might have gotten stuck in that corporate grind at the stock exchange. But they're they're stepping forward into this perceived freedom of entrepreneurship, and then they get stuck in this comparison trap, it's like so-and-so. like Marie Forleo, for example, has built this incredible business helping people find their purpose. I guess I shouldn't try to build something there. So what should they do in that, in that instance? Should they move on and, and do something else? Or, or should they find their own voice and, and stake a claim?
0: I think, first of all, you know, looking and comparing yourself to other people is just a losing game. You know, that'll take anyone off track. If you're doing something that you believe in and that you want to do and that you feel called to do, in a certain respect you almost have to put on blinders. Like, yes, you have to understand the field. You have to understand the game. You have to understand the industry so that you can develop the skills that you need to succeed. But once you understand the basics and you have a game plan, you need to put blinders on because so many people lose a tremendous amount of time and energy wasted. I mean, it's just completely wasted looking at what other people have done and then Feeling like they're coming up short. I call them comparison hangovers. It's like doing shots of what I call compare schlager. You know, back in my college days, I loved partying. And uh, I remember there was this disgusting alcohol, and it was called um, Goldschlager. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's oh my God, it's gross. It's like this (laughs) clear liqueur, and it has these gold specks and it's cinnamon flavored. It's nasty. Anyway, you do a couple shots of that, you are definitely going to get sick in the morning. And when people spend all of their time and energy comparing themselves to others, they're filling up their social feeds with everyone that they compare themselves to. They're constantly on their websites, they're doing everything. And then they come away feeling like crap. That's like doing shots of compare schlager. And it literally takes you days, if not weeks, to recover. So for me, you know, in terms of getting stuck in a comparison strap, it's like you have to actually go cold turkey. You have to take the people that you compare yourself off to off your social feeds, and you have to put blinders on and do your business your way.
1: I love that. And you know, it reminds me of one of your videos that you posted recently, uh, a question and answer format where, where someone was expressing, they were feeling overwhelmed by the self-help buffet. Yes. And, and you said, well, then it's time for you to step back from the self-help buffet that you put yourself into. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Step away from the self-help buffet. And I think people have to also realize it's like, you can't complain about it. Like if you've signed up for 10 people's lists or you're following X amount of people on your social media feeds, it's like, you're in control, dude. Like take those people off, take the apps off your phone, unsubscribe to the emails, and grow
1: up. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I mean it, it's 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 a it's kind of a curse of social media right now and there's just information overload everywhere 24/7 and and people just don't know how to opt out cuz everybody's so focused on getting you to opt in. Yeah. But I'm I'm just thinking like, you know, about this this individual, you know, this this person who wants to do something and they're ready to take action. They know they could take action. But I believe that before you take action, you actually have to have a belief that number one, that you are worthy of taking action. And number two, that you are capable of taking action. I believe that there's this crisis, this, this crisis of self-belief um, that a lot of people face today, that they're not worthy and that they're not capable. And I think that those are lies. So how can people... Build a community of others around them who can help elevate who they truly are.
0: Well, I think it starts with being that kind of person yourself, you know, going out there and supporting other people that could be folks in your family. That could be your friends. It could be taking an active, engaged interest in helping other people get what they want. And very soon you'll be able to see who are folks that you really vibe with and that they'll reciprocate for you and who are folks that don't. So I think it's a process and I think it's a never ending adventure of being in relationship with people who really build you up and you have to have the courage and the bravery to step away from those who don't.
1: I love it. I love it. That's, that's powerful advice. What was the, what are, what are some things that surprised you and and that you didn't necessarily expect when you started your coaching business at 23 and that you've learned today? And you're like, Hmm, wish I would have known that before.
0: Interesting question. I don't know if anything really surprised me to be honest with you. I was always aware that it takes a tremendous amount of work to do anything worthwhile. So I've never really had illusions about things being easy. Um, I think it's a really important point for people to get, especially in today's landscape, like just because there are more tools available, things are more you know plug and play. Every creative has more capabilities at their fingertips than they've ever had before. But that doesn't mean the ultimate outcome that you want to generate, the impact that you want to make in other people's lives, You know, whether this is financial success or you want uh, you know, to, to create a certain change in the world, whatever it may look like, you have to understand how long it's going to take. It's probably going to take two to three to five times as long as you think it should, It'll cost you an enormous amount more in terms of financial investment and your own blood, sweat, and tears. And the work is never done. It's never done. Like when people think about starting a business, you know, and they come in already with like an exit plan, that may work for a small sliver of humans and God bless them, whoever they are. But what I've seen throughout my career is that the people who are the most happy, the most satisfied, the most creatively fulfilled, you know, and I'd consider myself one of those humans. Like I started my business with a commitment plan, not an exit plan because I'm in this for Mm -hmm. life. Things Mm -hmm. might shift and change. They might not always look the same. We all evolve over time and uh, the world evolves along with us. So it's not always going to look exactly the same that you thought it would five years ago. But I think if you're already kind of entering a world looking for how you can get things done like quickly and easily and how you can make the most money as, as fast as humanly possible and then get out and retire, I think you're setting yourself to, up to lose before you even begin.
1: Wow. That, that's, I love that. I started. I came with a commitment plan, not an exit plan. I mean, that's incredibly powerful because so many people, especially around where I live, I, I live in Santa Cruz, California, which is not too far from the Silicon Valley, and everybody's focused on exiting in 18 months with a billion dollars. Yeah. And let less than 1% of people are going to actually fulfill that. They're going to be more like the Elon Musks of the world who come to near bankruptcy and then all of a sudden something happens and, and if they're lucky, they strike it rich. But you, when you started your coaching business, you, you were still bartending, right? I mean, oh, yeah. when you started, I,
0: I had side jobs for seven years, seven years. So my business wasn't able to sustain me for a a fairly long time. And quite frankly, a lot of that was by choice because I wasn't just a coach. I also had uh, a passion for dance and for fitness and for hip hop. And there were all these things that I really wanted to explore and do. And I knew, eyes wide open, that if I split my focus, everything would grow slower I knew that I wouldn't make as much money, but creatively, I'd probably be fulfilled. And I was right. So I was happy to bartend on the side. I was happy to wait tables. I was happy to do assistant work. And, you know, as points I was cleaning people's toilets, I didn't care because all of it was funding my ability to not only grow my skill set but do the kind of work that I really wanted to do. And I had a degree of faith, which we talked about earlier, that if I just stayed in it and did my best, that eventually at some point, it would all start to come together. And I knew that as I matured and as my life started to change, I'd probably want to make new decisions and choices about my lifestyle. So um, I was happy to you know, hustle my buns off to do what I needed to do to keep it all going.
1: or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. I love what you're saying because it's it's totally the opposite of what is being preached today from the mountaintops about you know niches and riches and niches and and focus and choose one thing because I, I'm I'm also not just a a one stop shop. I, I do a lot of things. I have I have a lot of passions and and I'm willing to suffer for for those things and and take the time I guess allow the time uh, that's necessary for things to percolate to the surface and and success to happen and and I think that that is one of the biggest obstacles a lot of entrepreneurs face today is this is this lie that they have to choose one thing.
0: Yeah, and I think there's some caveats with that, right? Cuz people can get themselves in trouble and I've certainly seen that and I've had to help people adjust. You know, like Marie, well, I'm going to start this business and that business and this business and that business. And a few things that you have to always keep in mind are one, your life stage. You know, for me when I was bartending and um, dancing, hip hop, and teaching fitness and starting my coaching practice. I was in my 20s where I didn't have mortgages. I didn't have a significant other necessarily at the, at the full point of that. You know, no kids, no stepkids, no pets, all of the things that most of us have or can continue to accumulate as we advance in age. So, you know, if you are in a situation right now where you've got a mortgage or you've got kids or you've got people that are depending on you for their health care or their daily care, well, okay, that doesn't mean that you have to necessarily niche down and focus, but it's not necessarily wise to start three businesses at once. Can you start one business and still perhaps pursue another passion on the side, but you're not trying to monetize it, right? You're just doing it because it gives you joy, because it feeds your creativity, because it's something that you want to be be a part of your life. You know, Can you give yourself the leeway to experiment before necessarily choosing a single side business to focus on? Or conversely, if you're like, you know what, I do want to start two or three businesses. Fine. Are you then willing to face the consequences that none of them are going to get your full attention and none of them are going to go grow quite as fast as you hope? If you're okay with those things, then go for it. But if you're not, then you need to really step back and reevaluate. So I do think that it, it's absolutely possible to give yourself to experiment with to several different things, but you also have to take into account your daily responsibilities, your life stage, and just understanding that every choice you make does have consequences.
1: Absolutely. And you, you got to go going back to the whole trusting your gut uh, theory. You got you got to trust your instinct and you have to communicate with the important people around you. You can't just Jump into something without telling your spouse or significant other that you're doing it, because that's yeah. gonna cause friction. <laughs> yes,
0: a whole lot of friction.
1: <laughs> a whole lot of friction. You know, back in 2012, you had this interview um, that was published on Psychology Today. And, and at the end of the interview, um, you said that you had a lot of thoughts about the future of entrepreneurship. So this was 2012. So what's changed about your thoughts on the future of entrepreneurship you know, five years later? And, and what are your thoughts going forward about potential, about what's wrong, about what, how people can pivot or make the world of entrepreneurship better?
0: So it's interesting because I don't remember exactly what I said in that 2012 interview. I can barely, you know, remember what I said last week. The the world moves so quickly. (laughs) But um, so right now it's 2017. You know, in terms of the future of entrepreneurship, I think a few things that we know are for sure. More and more people will have to behave in an entrepreneurial manner, even if they're not necessarily starting or founding a company. What I mean by that is this. The amount of freelancers that are currently uh, in operation here in the US is higher than it has ever been. And I think that number is only going to continue to go up as the landscape of business itself is changing, where people are becoming more virtual, right? Uh, Not everyone is going to an office every day. There's a lot of project-based work. People are telecommuting. A lot of people are kind of railing against that idea of being in an office five days a week from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. So we're going to see a lot more people having to understand marketing and sales and branding and how to take care of customers and how to invoice and all the pieces that are traditionally associated with running a business, I think a lot more people are going to have to learn those skills and behave in those ways in order to thrive for their livelihood. So that's one thing. I think we're going to see a lot more people needing to learn those skills and master them if they want to be good at what they do and continue to have a viable career. Um, In terms of entrepreneurship in a more traditional sense, I think we'll probably see a lot more people trying to enter the field and start their own businesses. But I think we're going to see a lot higher of a failure rate. And one of the reasons for that is this. Where we're at right now, there are so many different platforms in terms of social media to be on. There are so many different ways to kind of get your ideas out there. And what I think is a lot of folks are gonna stumble and fall because they're gonna try to do too many things at once. They're gonna try and be like a media company and generate free content or promotional content and put them all out on all these different social channels. And when you're starting as like a one-person show, It's impossible to be a full-time media company, a marketing company, and actually create a viable product and service that people want and deliver on that promise for your customers. So Mm. it's going to require in the future that people get really good at focusing, that people understand the power of simplification meaning choosing one or two things to be really good at and letting yourself gain traction and profits and then expanding out from there. Uh, And I also think we're gonna continue to see more of an emphasis on, when I say social entrepreneurship, I don't necessarily mean the business model of having to give back, but I do think we'll continue to see businesses that are very proud to have their values and integrity and their intention to make a positive difference on the world, they're going to wear that a lot more on their sleeves. I think that we'll continue to see the mistrust that we've seen in terms of government and some big corporations, and people are railing against that. So small business owners who are wise enough to bake social good into their business model from a very sincere and genuine place are going to thrive in the future.
1: I love that. And and it seems like there's a lot of of uh, like a surge of coaches these days of business coaches of life coaches of of coaches of all kinds and and you're one of the best in the world and so what advice would you give to someone who is about starting a coaching business specifically.
0: Absolutely, I think you need to focus on getting people results. One of the things that really breaks my heart and that I think could be a real negative in this world is we the world of coaching and consulting almost becomes like a parody of itself. It almost becomes a joke. It's like people um, wanting to call themselves business coaches who have never actually run a business or don't currently run a business. People who call themselves marketing coaches who don't know how to market things or don't have a track record of helping other people successfully market things. So I think it's really, really important when you're starting out that you focus on doing everything you can to produce concrete, verifiable results whether that's for yourself and or your clients. You can't just take courses. You can't just read books and then declare yourself a thing. You have to actually help people produce results. You know, When I was first starting life coaching, I was so insecure about my age. I was so insecure that I didn't have what it took that people were going to think that I was some kind of shyster or fraud. And so all of my attention and energy went to developing my skills as a coach and i worked with a lot of people for free and that's part of the reason why i bartended so much because i did not want to have to earn money as a coach i wanted to develop my skill set i wanted to develop my ability to work with people and help them transform their lives and not have any of that financial pressure kind of leaning on my shoulder because i felt like that would be detrimental to my growth and to my ability to produce results for others. So my biggest advice for anyone wanting to enter this world is do whatever you need to do on the side to earn money while you develop your skill set and your ability to get results for people as a coach, whether it's business, whether it's life, whether it's marketing, whatever it is, work your ass off to get people results and build your confidence and your business on results, not on bravado.
1: You know, as we begin to wrap up our conversation, and that was incredibly powerful advice, by the way. And and I and I second that. High five to you from across the, uh, the country. <laughs> um, where I want to make sure that people know how they can connect with you, and then I have a few concluding questions for us.
0: Sure. So, um, in terms of where to connect with me, the best place. Is marieforleo.com, M A R I E F O R L E O.com. We have over 300 free episodes of Marie TV, amazing interviews with creatives and artists and entrepreneurs, so valuable. Plus, our own Marie TV, as you were sharing before, some just straight up QA. Um, and everything is in podcast form as well. So if you prefer to listen, it's all there. And the one thing I would encourage people to do is there's a fantastic audio called How to Get Anything You Want. It's 100% free. You can just download it on the site. It's about an hour long, and it will help you no matter where you are right now. If there's something that you want to create or achieve or experience, but you're feeling a little stuck, it'll give you concrete steps to get over that hump and create a plan for yourself to move ahead.
1: I love it. And and I consume the content. It's great content. And you're incredibly generous with what you put out into the world. And I'm sure it comes back 10,000-fold to you. So... Um, as one of your, your super fans, I just want to say thank you.
0: Oh, I enjoy it. Thank you very much for, <laughs> for watching and for paying attention. We, we enjoy what we do. I love what we're able to do. So um, I appreciate that.
1: Now, here's the, the last three rapid fire type questions. And, and you could take as long or as short of time answering them as you liked. But the first is, if you could pick any skill that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower, what would it be?
0: Okay, so what do you mean by superpower? Because I almost think like some of the skills I possess right now are superpower. So how would it be okay. different?
1: Well, no, tell me, tell me. Okay, let's roll with that. So what what are the skills that you've possessed that you've turned into superpowers?
0: I think one of my skills is my ability to continue to generate ideas for content. And to continue to keep things fresh, you know, after 17 years of doing this, a lot of my friends will be like, how do you keep it going? And I'm like, you know what? I have a total faith and commitment that I can. And so I do. So one of the mm-hmm. beliefs that I base that on is there's always more where that came from. I have that belief when it comes to money. I have that belief when it comes to ideas. I have that belief when it comes to creativity in general, that there's always more where that came from. Now, that doesn't mean that at some point in the future, if I decide like, I'm done and I want to you know, go into a new phase of my life and do something completely different that I won't, but it won't be for a lack of ideas. It'll just be because my soul and my intuition and my life is taking me in a new direction.
1: What are three lies that you believe high achievers or entrepreneurs tell themselves?
0: Lie number 1 is I'm not ready yet. You know, when there's a new project or a new idea or a new business or a new direction that you want to go in, most of us have the feeling of oh that you know that's going to be great in 2 months or 3 months or I'm not ready yet to do that. It might I might need to gain more skills or more experience or more connections or more money. And I think it's a huge lie. And I think one of the biggest secrets to success there is, is to start before you're ready. Start when you're absolutely terrified. Make the call, send the email, pick up the book, go to the class, whatever you need to do to start before you're ready. And that momentum is what creates magic. Lie number two is everything's been done before. This harks back to our conversation about comparison and putting down the, doing the shots of compare Schlager. So here's the thing, you know, a lot of things have been done in the world and they've never been done by you. So every person's voice, every person's perspective, every person's set of skills and strengths and gifts are completely unique. You know, there will never be another you on this planet. So if you don't express your take on whatever your topic is or your product or your service, if you don't pour your full personality and all of your wacky and wild, crazy dreams into that thing, it won't ever exist, ever, And I believe that if you hold back from doing what you really want to do, you're stealing from those who need you most. So the lie is everything's been done before. And I say it's not a lie because it hasn't been done by you. Mm. The third lie is that successful people have something that you don't and that your limitations, whether it's a lack of resources or a lack of time or whatever, are holding you back. And what I've learned the hard way, because I had those same ideas, especially when I was first starting out, is that successful people don't have anything that you don't have. You're kind of seeing them further ahead in the journey and you start to make all these assumptions, right? That they had connections or they had this or they had talent or skills or blah, blah, blah. And what I've learned from interviewing some of the top people in the world and from going through my own journey is successful people don't have anything that you don't have. They are just doing the work day in and day out. They make the connections. They form those skills. They strengthen their ability to produce results, but it all comes back to doing the work. And so mm-hmm. that lie that successful people out there have talent or an ability that you don't have is just total BS.
1: I 100% agree with everything that you just said. One one add-on question, which is if if you could only... If there were, was only one person that you could impact and that person had the potential to change the world, would you still do what you're doing?
0: If if I could only impact one person, but that person had the ability to change the world. So are you saying like, I'd have to give up my business and only work with one person because that person could create a certain result? Would I do it? Is that the question?
1: Yeah, would you do it? Yeah.
0: Well, it would depend on what that change would be. Okay. So if I felt like that particular change was like, yes, this is exactly what the world needs. This is the change that I want to produce. And um, this is a vehicle to get there. I would certainly consider it.
1: Awesome. You know, there's a great book uh, by a guy named Clay Christensen called How Will You Measure Your Life? And that is the last question. How will Marie Forleo measure her life?
0: You know, I don't know how to answer that. And I don't think the real truth will come until the day I'm on my deathbed. But mm. these days, uh, the way I measure my life is honestly, do I feel good in my body? Do, am I happy day in and day out? And when I say happy, I don't mean like with this plastic smile on my face. I mean, really feeling a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. Uh, my connection to my relationships, uh, with Josh, with my family, with my friends, um, with my team. And do I feel excited and proud of the work that we're creating? And so if I wake up in the morning and those answers are a yes, I feel like I'm on track. And if I wake up in the morning and any of those answers are a no, it's a direct indication of a place that I need to put more focus and attention to fix it.
1: Marie Forleo, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm a hugger, so I'm giving you a virtual hug. Oh, right hugging now. you
0: right back. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I want to thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to spend with me and our listeners and hopefully having such a, a tremendously positive impact in their lives today that one area of their life might change and empower them to go on and create the impact and the purpose that they want to in the world. So thank you for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show.
0: Thank you so much. It was a joy.
1: Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting FlynnWealthStrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters, we could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.